season five. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Well, <laughs> I am death destroyer of worlds. <laughs> I was, I was, a, I was expecting Brandon to go with that one. <laughs> Welcome to season five, guys. On that <laughs> note, let us begin. Here we go. Fuck. Welcome to the very first episode of season five of Three and a Half Gentlemen. We're the podcast where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis of movies from our private collections, while one of us tries desperately to keep up. We'll let you decide which host is which, but for now, my name is Sean, and with me, destroying the universe by pressing atoms together, are my co-hosts, Jeremiah. Power stays in the shadows, yo. What up? Eddie. These things are hard on your heart. And Brandon. Brilliance makes up for a lot, yo. Yeah, I got you. Throwing that right <laughs> back at you, buddy. That's what I'm talking about. I'm catching it. So we're going to do this back. all season. I'm, there we go. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Bring it on, <laughs> season five. <laughs> uh, with season five, we're changing things up a bit. Uh, we'll still be uh, picking movies that we think will be fun to talk about. But for this season, we're playing a loose version of Six Degrees, where each host chooses their film based on the previous movie. As long as the next movie has the same actor, actress, composer, director, or writer. So at the end of last year, we randomly selected the order, which is Brandon, Eddie, Jeremiah, and then Sean. Along with this format, we'll be including a few special episodes this season of the new releases in theaters and on streaming services, along with a TV season or two. As with every review we give, our goal is to answer one simple question. How many drinks does it take to get through the film that we just watched? Now, at the end of the podcast, we'll rate the movie based on the scale of zero to five. Zero being a perfect film that you can watch Stone Cold Sober and five being sort of the film that makes you feel like you just felt the effects of the atomic bomb firsthand. With that, what do we have mushroom clouding our way uh, into our uh, a podcast this evening, gentlemen? Tonight, we have last year's blockbuster hit, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which was one half of the Barbenheimer sensation. Remember that? Good times. No, yes, no it wasn't yes. like a good time. It was, bad. it was very good times, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> While our individual picks will begin next week, as three and a half gentlemen, we've decided to start season five with this movie since it was such a smash hit last year and has Oscar buzz circling all around it now. Oppenheimer tells the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the brilliant and often troubled physicist who led the Manhattan Project to create the atomic bomb in the 1940s to end World War II. The insanely star-studded cast is led by Killian Murphy. Killian, uh, Cillian, Killian. What the fuck am I thinking? Killian Murphy, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. Yeah. It sounded weird. Didn't it sound weird? Did it sound weird to you too? <laughs> it's like Celtics or Celtics. We don't even know. Let's try it again. Yeah, that's a good point. Good yeah. point. The insanely star-studded cast is led by Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, and Matt Damon. Oppenheimer has earned an IMDb rating of 8.4 out of 10 and has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 93% with the critics and an audience score of 91%. Perfect. As with every movie that we review, we try to pair our selection with a cocktail that we hope enhances the viewing experience. So, Ed, why don't you take us through the cocktail that we will be enjoying as we watch this three-hour movie? A lot of drinks, guys. A lot of drinks. <laughs> you know, I three didn't. Hours. <laughs> I didn't see that I had another part, so I thought I was in the clear. So, my first time looking at this. <laughs> So this is this is all fresh here, guys. Tonight, in honor of Oppenheimer's program, we're going to be enjoying a Manhattan. 
Is that, did I say that right? In Manhattan? Yeah. <laughs> because Manhattan. of the Manhattan yes. project. Manhattan. Yes. 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 It's a cl- classic right. Manhattan. It's very, I like it. For this drink, you'll need to, uh, to combine two ounces of rye risky, one ounce of sweet vermouth, two dashes of bitters, and a mixing glass with ice. Let's train the mixture into a tube glass. If you're feeling the mood, drain your Manhattan and then chase it with a shot of fireball while you sit back and enjoy Oppenheimer. I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, that, that would be terrible. No, no, you don't. Don't ever combine a classic. Yeah, Manhattan with I fireball. understand why. Let me just say Manhattan. You, you, like you've, the Manhattan Project finishes and then it's no, no. Fired. I understand <sighs> that, but but yeah, but don't 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 ruin a good Manhattan no, listen, with fireball. Secondly, there, in our instructions, just so you know, once you place it in the mixing glass with ice, go ahead and shake that up a little bit. Don't yeah, just strain it. That, in, in, that, you know, our, you gotta, our listeners you are not shake idiots, Sean. Our listeners are very, very smart. Well, People, they t- know that if it's going in a mixing glass, we have an obligation, Brandon, to tell the, tell the truth. Shaking that stir, and not just to not just to have hearsay out there. <laughs> I like that, and Brandon, I've said something for three seasons straight. Okay, shaking that stir with a lemon peel, and you had to fucking switch up my whole routine here, bro. So. <laughs> No, once we did, once we did 007, once we did that one, we bro, what are you getting mad? You had a lot of stuff going on in the beginning yeah. of this whole like entrance. Way, had, it was it, it was the Eddie show. I mean, you had way more awesome. lines than anyone else. So I mean, uh, thank you because I'm very happy. I used to have to say it all, which I'm happy I don't anymore. Anyway, let's start with uh, Oppenheimer. As uh, you know, let's look at this movie in expectations a little bit because I know we don't do our first impressions anymore. But I had kind of low expectations for this movie going in. Um, I was, I have not seen the last two Christopher Nolan movies. I haven't seen Interstellar or, um, Interstellar was not last. Let's see the other one. No, no, the other one. Dunkirk? His last one was, no, I saw Dunkirk. Tenet and Dunkirk. I haven't, I haven't seen Tenet and I haven't seen Interstellar. So I haven't seen either of those. Mm. Um, I've been kind of off on Christopher Nolan. And so coming back to him was, uh, I was not excited to do it. So that being said, I was completely blown away, but I'm very excited for this movie. So, so you never seen Interstellar? Just throw it out. You never saw it. No, I'm not. I have not. No, did not see it. So, so Sean and Eddie, you haven't seen it before watching it for this podcast. Jeremiah, did you see it in theaters? No, this is the one movie that I tried wow. desperately so hard to see it in the theaters. And I ended up watching Barbie. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Well, that was, that was a <laughs> fail on. On so many levels. The problem was is that Hannah wanted to see this movie in the uh, IMAX mm-hmm. 70 millimeter thing, you know? I mean, we didn't get a chance to watch it, and so that was the so reason why we didn't get to watch you, it in theater. Sitting in a movie theater, a darkened movie theater, and seeing this on the big screen <laughs> was was magical. So I've seen this movie now twice, and yeah. this is – this is a, a this is a the more times you see it the better it gets I think this is well I, I will tell you I have an 80, 85 inch television with uh, surround sound by Bose and it was pretty fucking interstellar on that in that movie it was it was it was pretty immersive on that screen so I can yeah. only imagine what you saw on the uh, on the on the big screen oh. same here dude like I I waited so much to get the 4K version of this movie and for whatever reason like the the physical media of the 4K for Oppenheimer was completely sold out mm. during its first and second week. So that gave me like a little hope. It's like, hey, people do like physical media, which is great. Is good. However, I was able to see it on a 75 inch, not like Sean's, you know, yeah, sorry. big. He's got I, saw mine, I saw mine on 57 <laughs> inch. Mine was on the 75 inch, but it was <laughs> hey, it glorious. Just matters. It, yeah. it, just it matters. was <laughs> fucking glorious, <laughs> dude. So, it was so right, good, man. Yeah. 
So let's 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 start. Let's let's talk a little bit about the pacing of the movie because what I found for a three hour movie, I you know, right before I sat down to watch it, I got a text from Ed. I think it was in the group chat, and he goes, "It's three hours," and I went, "Oh fuck! Like really? I'm going to sit here for three hours and watch this movie, and it's going to be you know about the life of Oppenheimer." I thought this movie kept it so trim and such the pacing was so good that I was literally an hour and 40 minutes in. And I was like, what, how, how, how much longer do I have? Like, yeah. how, where are we going from here? <laughs> so what, what baffles me about this movie and, 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 and baffles me in a good way is that this movie defies conventional narrative structure for me where, you know, nor- normal narrative structure says that you have kind of, peaks and you have lulls and the movie really just kind of goes up and down as far as pacing goes and for me this movie has got to be one of the most for me at least intense cinematic experiences where the 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 foot doesn't let up on the gas to me at all right i don't know if you guys felt that but it felt like it was constantly building and building and you're 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 on the edge of your seat and there's so much tension building and it never lets up like maybe you get like him walking down a corridor and that's you know half a second of I can breathe. And then the next thing you know, we're back to just this insane push towards. But you also have three different, you have three different timelines working Mm -hmm. their way. Timelines, And and what what they did, which was what what Christopher Nolan did, which I think is absolutely both brilliant and off-putting to no degree is he made the future, not the future because it's all in the past, but the most recent timeline, black and white and, and the older timelines in color. And so if you watch the movie, I'm like, is this, is this supposed to be a, a, a history uh, like back, like before? Yeah. And then it was this interwoven story where you realize that it wasn't actually three different periods of time. All of them were happening at the same time. And you, they were telling three different sets of stories going forward in his life. And mm-hmm. I thought that was absolutely just fucking oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, Jer. I love the fact that how this movie felt like you're watching two different movies that were being shown here like you had robert oppenheimer's scene from his perspective that was presented in color right and then you had louis strauss his scenes were his perspective presented in a black and white they kind of like you know have it in two different ways how you're going to view it from one perspective versus another perspective so everything you see with robert Downey jr's character it's all in black and white yeah. everything yeah. you see with killian murphy's character it's all you know fusion colors you, and everything like if that. If you also if you also notice um uh all the the court the, I'm going to call it the courtroom scenes but they weren't courtroom they were um the the little room the, the hearing, hearing yeah, no no the whole, hearing the hearing scenes the, FBI, the cam the camera didn't move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had a punch a camera movement in both uh both uh, the, the two other storylines that were going on, but when he was, when all the interviews were taking place, it was either a, uh, a shot of the people asking the questions or a shot of the person answering yep. the questions, almost like um, a true detective interview with Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if anyone saw that, but it was, be- it was beautifully yeah. shot because then all of a sudden you, you transform into like a, when, when when the camera starts to move, you you it transforms in, into more of an action movie, which it wasn't at all. But it was it was scientists walking around doing math, and it just yeah. made it just felt it felt like Bruce Willis shooting shooting up Nakatomi Plaza. Did it not? I mean, am it I really the only does. person? No, who no, felt it that absolutely way? does. <laughs> Are they going to solve the equation? Someone said the best here. This is a three-hour movie about people talk about nuclear physics, and yet. I was on the edge of my seat the whole fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I was just like, okay, I feel like this is a movie that would have educated me so well in nuclear physics. I was just like, okay, I, I'm starting to attach to this now. So, so don't you want to grab a pen and start writing yes. on Windows? Yeah. So I also love the idea of um, – you know, going back to the timeline, it did remind me. I don't know if anyone else felt the same, but it reminded me of a little bit of JFK, the movie. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because sure I did. thought, like, and I, the movie is a classic. So I just thought, like, I don't know if that was on purpose, but, it, you know, it, it hit it hit home it's to a classic movie. And it was cool because you don't see many movies like that that no. to nail it. No, I agree. And Christopher, Christopher Nolan seems to be irreverent of timelines and at all giving you any indication of when and where you are. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't really care to do that. Um, it was just like, buckle up and I'm going to, sh- I'm going to present the movie yeah. the way I want to present it and, you know, follow, follow up. Yeah. And that, I think that, that, that took a story that was relatively, I mean, it was okay. boring. I'm sorry to say this, but yeah. Oppenheimer's Oppenheimer's life is boring. Yeah. Oppenheimer was a physicist. Oppenheimer got a bunch of the best scientists in, in the United States together. They did the Manhattan Project, created a great bomb. The bomb was very successful. They did not want to bomb. They did not want to use the bomb. The government took the bomb, used the bomb, and then they basically destroyed Oppenheimer's career. That's that's the storyline. Yes. It was very linear, <laughs> sto- simple storyline. Christopher Nolan is. He took all those sentences and then he put them in a hat and he was like, let's pull out right. one of them and it was brilliant <laughs> right yes, and and indeed. i think the most brilliant turn was the fact that robert daddy jr who I, I just want to say uh, i i have always known that he's a phenomenal actor this was his yeah. crowning glory yeah. this was yeah. his 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 best performance ever and Hands it down. was because of the material because of the direction and i think because he was surrounded by absolutely phenomenal people I mean, everyone in this movie, it's almost like they elevated their game by 10. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just by virtue of being on set, it felt like everyone was, was, you know, was just performing at their highest level. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, oh, Sean, I agree. I, one of the, the best scenes, uh, I mean, to me, you could, you could take any number of, of shots and scenes of Robert Downey Jr. in this movie, but the one that hits me the most with just like the understated quality of his of his acting in this is when he is at the very end and he just looks at the aide and he, he looks at him and he says we didn't get the votes like he knew the answer before See, uh, it, that is so it's so understated and but it's that so wasn't the, that wasn't the one that that wasn't the scene that won him the academy award brandon the, I, t- I leaned over to you and i said in the fighter when christopher when um mm-hmm. what's his name was it christian bale mm-hmm. carried the cake yep i don't know if you remember that oh, I, remember. I said he just won an academy award right there which and one is it for robert Downey jr won when he had the breakdown about Einstein, because it was all about Einstein at the end of the day, when he gets, he gets through with the hearing mm-hmm. and he he puts his coat, uh, it's right there. He puts his coat on the coat rack and the coat rack falls down Yeah, and he doesn't stop. He, no one else cut, no one fucking breaks and it was not supposed to happen. Nope. And you could tell it wasn't supposed to happen. And he uses that coat rack falling to propel this, emotional childlike i am so pissed that he ruined einstein's you know a view of me in one sentence Mm -hmm. which by the way a great reveal but he was crying but not crying it was it reminded you of a temper tantrum of a 12 year old or 10 year old Mm -hmm. child like over something that 
isn't a big deal, but he has yeah. just made it his whole world. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. So that is where he won the Academy Award, in my opinion. Jeremy, I got a question after you, but Jer, go. My question to you guys, like, well, who was your favorite actor in this movie? What was the one performance in this movie you're just like, fuck? Because I have a certain got, actor that I thought when I was watching it and when you guys were talking about, I thought, oh. This person just won the Academy Award. This person just won oh, an Oscar here. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear yours. I'll tell you this much. Emily Blunt. Yep. Emily oh, Blunt. She was fucking awesome. Her role, in a way, was kind of small, you know, normally, you know, for a lead on this one. But that the scene. interrogation scene. Oh. When she's when quiet, I was watching she that. Unleashes, oh. She literally won a fucking Oscar with that scene right there. The way how she took control of the environment in the room. Mm-hmm. I thought she knocked that out in the park. And that I'm getting chills right now. Like uh-huh. if you can see this, God, like my hair is sticking up right there. It turns. At first she was like struggling. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like she just got her shit together and she just like nailed it. I don't think she was struggling. I think she was actually trying to play the room to see how they, it was going to come at her. And she was so fierce I, in that scene. Yeah. I thought she'd knocked out of the park. I think what it was is she knew that she had one chance to say everything that she wanted to say. And she was so, so almost writing it in her head and practicing it in her head so that when she said it, everybody did exactly what they did. Like to me, it was this, this well, deciding the right words instead of just, instead of blurting it out, just really picking and choosing the right words. With with no emotion. That's my favorite oh, part yes. about it. It wasn't based on this like hatred or anger or emotion. It was fact. And she just spit it out. Yeah. Um, I will say that we got a precursor to that when she went when I believe they were talking right before her testimony and the attorney was like, Are we sure we want to put her on the stand? Like, are you sure you want to do this? And and she and Oppenheimer goes, yeah, she can handle herself just fine. <laughs> <laughs> we get the precursor. Don't underestimate this woman. Well, we get the precursor though when when he finds out about Jean's suicide, right? And she finds him out there, and he's crying and he's upset. And she basically says, "You know, you made this bed, so fucking sleep in it." And uh, you know, basically get your ass up and and move forward. Like you can see oh, yeah. that she is that catalyst that just prods him forward instead of holds him. Not holding him back, but comforts him. Like he's, she's not a comforting person, and that's exactly what he needed so many times in his life. And oh god, you know, it reminds me a lot of a Beautiful Mind. You know, where you've got Jennifer Connelly's character is at the end, mm. and you see that she's stuck with him through all the 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 bad. When we get the same, almost the exact same scene in Oppenheimer, where you know he's getting the uh, the the medal or he's getting the the award, and it's you know the backroom award, but she refuses to shake Teller's hand at the right. end. Um, you see that oh, she's that still with him and she's ass. still supporting him, but she still has the same convictions that she always has. And to me, that's, you know, I, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, this is a, a, a like in cheer inducing performance. Like you want to stand up and you want to just cheer her on because she does everything that you want somebody to do for you. I'm not a huge fan. And I'll say this on blue in the face of movies that are anti United States government. And I believe this movie was very anti-United States government, and rightfully fucking so. What happened in this movie, if taken as true, it makes the United States government the absolute villain, and I believe I, I believe that it is true. And mm-hmm. the words that Einstein said to Robert Oppenheimer in their last meeting was basically, oh, yeah. they're going to crucify you, and then one day it'll mm-hmm. be over, 
but it won't be for you. It will be for them. And I felt like that moment was so, it was so perfect of a self-serving government that took a man to think that he went through what he went through. And then the government basically said, okay, your, your torture is over. Now we're going to reward you for it. It's like how self-serving. But at the, the end of his that. life, it was just so right? disgusting. At the end of his no, life, no, I know. It's just like I know. You've got not much more left. That quote that he said pretty much like, "It is your turn to deal with the consequences of your achievement." How yeah. fucking hardcore! Great fucking Great. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god damn. Anyway, it, I, I, yeah, that's just beautiful. So, so who else actors? Who's Emmy Blunt? Yeah, who's yeah. the other actors? Who's yeah. the other actors that you liked? Well, to uh, me, Emmy. I mean, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah. No, oh, sorry, go, Brandon. Go, Brandon. No, I was going to say, well, we already talked about Robert Downey Jr. This was a revelation. I've seen Downey Jr. in so many more things than just Iron Man. I think that so many people just think of him as Iron Man, but he's a, he's a quality freaking actor, right? Um, so I think I was a nice – I think, Sean, you kind of said this. It was a nice reminder of just how quality an actor he is. But, I mean, I'm going to go with the obvious. To me, Killing Murphy was so – understated so steady so quiet so calm which absolutely you know which which pissed kitty you know his the wife off is because he was so calm but the way that killing murphy just dominated a scene just from his presence every scene right every, every scene, scene every scene and he didn't have yeah. to say anything he just stood there and his his mannerisms and you know i don't care about the 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 makeup and all that what i care about is his 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 emotions just conveyed everything and i thought that he was he gave us one of the best performances we've seen in in years and years and years. But, dude, we've been fans of this guy oh God, yeah. for the last 20 years. It's about goddamn time that he finally gets the recognition of what of a fucking amazing actor he yeah. is. Probably one of the best oh, actors sure. of his generation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I was going to go – I mean, I think it, was, it blindsided me personally, but it would be Josh Hartnett. Um, yeah, I feel like sure. with the role he had in there, he took advantage of it very well, and it wasn't overpowering. It was very like it was a cool Josh Hartnett that was like okay, I, you know, I I feel like I could see you in more movies. Like where yeah. the hell have you been? Welcome back. Yeah, welcome yeah, back. Exactly. Like, like, what, right now? One of the one of the things he said was theory will only take you so far to uh, Oppenheimer, right? Because Opp- uh, Oppenheimer, I, what is it? Is it Sabri? Saber? Uh, what is it? Saber? Sabri? What is it? Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's from office. office. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to think. Yeah, you literally got me uh, mixed up on that one, dude. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. But what is it? Uh, you're welcome. It's Oppenheimer. It's, um, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. So, like, because it was originally like, did they ask him first? Like, the the government came up to him first, or and then he was like, hey, like Oppenheimer, you 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 should be invited here, but overall, you got to take your foot out of the the party that you're hanging out with over there. Uh, just just to give you some context, and I, this is one of the failures of the movie that will not affect my score whatsoever, but it is absolutely one of the failures of the movie, is it didn't adequately talk about why communists, the, what was going on with communism, yes. why they were so worried about communism, yeah. and how Very many, true. frankly, how many, how many scientists were uh, open to the concept of communism, mm-hmm. um, not maybe open to the con- concept of communism, but open to at least learning about the concept concept of communism. But if you look at all these scientists, they all defected from communism or fascism. They were all escaping prejudice or persecution from those governments. Mm-hmm. So to think that they were like, oh, pro-communists were just like, it was It was the McCarthy show trials. Yep. It was this idea that communists mm-hmm. was running wild in America and that they had to shut it down. And mm-hmm. – that was that was not quite 
explained, but I think any movie set in this time period, you just have to realize that McCarthy and the Red Scare and the communists, yeah. it was just heavy in yeah. politics and heavy in government. Yep. Um, it well, just didn't explain it at all. Well, and, and, and I think my, 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 my supporting I don't know. My thought to that, and maybe it's wrong, is that this is a movie that doesn't explain. I don't say mansplain, but it doesn't explain anything, right? It doesn't try to sit there and explain the math behind it or the physics behind it. It just says, you know what? Just accept the fact that this is what it is. This is the the history. This is the time period. This is the social structure. It's over your head. The the math is over your head. Like they're talking and you just kind of sit there and go, okay, yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's not a movie that is trying to set up a history lesson as much as to try to capture a moment in history. I think it's more of a philosophical movie than it is a, a scientific technical movie. Uh, yeah. Um, if you look at something like like uh, Big Bang Theory, which I, I think is is very funny show, they rely on technical jokes, right? Technical mm-hmm. physics jokes. This movie relied on the philosophical questions, and one of the most beautiful things that you had in this movie was Oppenheimer at one point early on said, nobody gets hurt from theory. Theory doesn't, doesn't damage anyone. There's no damage that comes from theory, you know, until you actually visually see the black hole, which was what he was working on the death of a star, you know, nobody's going to get hurt by that. And then all of a sudden he goes from theory to, to practice practicality mm-hmm. and the practicality was justified in his mind so beautifully when, when he said to, I believe it was David Kummerholtz character um, cause David Kummerholtz character would not join the Manhattan project. He said, I know for sure in the hands of the Nazis, this technology will be devastating. I know for sure in the hands of the Russians. Yeah. yeah. yeah this, this will be race. devastating. I'm not sure how America will, you know, will use it, but I know that the Nazis and the Russians can't get it. So that was his whole yeah. predicate, his whole justification for doing what he did. And so I, I found that Oppenheimer was this logical, rational, reasonable human. And then fast forward to his trial when they, when they said, when did your opinion change? And I think that his answer, basically he didn't give an answer, but his answer was, my opinion never changed. Yeah, And that's a heartless thing to say. I was building the bomb because it was necessary to build the bomb. At, upon accomplishment of the bomb, Germany was falling. Russia became our ally. There was no need. There was no longer a need to use the bomb. It, yeah. it, it didn't change my opinion. The facts changed. And therefore, the logic changed. And that's where I think this whole movie was just brilliant and beautiful, is that he was the steady force throughout the entire movie. He really didn't change. And my one of my favorite lines is when, um, when Emily Blunt says, you know, how long are they going to let them rake you through the coals or burn you? Do you think you're ever going to get, you know, it's, it's when he goes down the, the garden path toward her. Do you mm-hmm. remember that at the end of the movie? Yeah. And, and he says, we'll see. And, he, you know, he was right. I think the intro really foreshadows everything about what you're going to be expecting in this movie, especially the whole quote from um, Prometheus, you know, and how much, you know, he stole the fire from from the gods and then he bestowed it to mankind. And then he had to be like, you know, chained to this rock, you know, to witness that. And then when you think about it, like Oppenheimer, you know, gave us the atomic fire, you know, and, and when, when he was trying to control it, you know, or be, you know, aware or making aware of the danger, you know, the powers that be rose up in anger and punished him, you know. So you literally have that fucking like the whole theme, the whole story right there yeah. 
on what yeah. it was from, especially from the author who, who was kind of explaining it, you know, of the American Prometheus, you know. Mm-hmm. I think Nolan did something differently in this movie that it's just something he's been missing for the past few films yep. that I feel like he's just in another league now of just yes. storytelling. But but it's not just storytelling. I think we need to talk about – I know we're kind of talking about actors and stuff, but we need to talk about the the special effects, which are all practical. Everything was practical. Oh, yeah. None of it was digital. And the fact that we have a person in this digital age who's saying, no, let's forsake all the digital you know, hoo-ha and let's do practical effects – I mean, you're talking about he's in a different league of storytelling. He is, but he's also in a different league of of, of video telling or visual telling. And I think that this movie, um, I, I enjoyed Tenet. I did. I, it was confusing, but I liked Tenet. I, I hate Interstellar. I love Tenet. I hate Interstellar. I don't like Interstellar. Sean, don't watch it. Um, I know. I know. I'm really. I'm in a minority there. I know a lot of people love that. Yeah. One. But this movie, Jeremiah, you are absolutely right because he transcended to me what filmmaking can do in the 21st century where we already think that it can do leaps and bounds because he's saying, no, we don't need to resort to cheap effects. Let's tell a story. Let's let the story structure tell it. Let's let the visuals tell it. And let's let the the audience be completely immersed in this movie. Yeah. It's a three hour movie. It's a three hour movie. It's rated R and it made over a billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, it it may be premature to, yeah, maybe premature to say, but I think if if you're looking back 25, 35, 100 years from now, you'll see um this is a movie you know, the likes of this is this is this is the movie where it'll go down with Lawrence of Arabia, it'll go down with Citizen Kane, it'll go down with I agree. Yeah. with the greatest films yeah. of all time, the big John Huston pictures, mm-hmm. the, you know, the stuff that was so big that it was why you go to the movies. It's, because it's this so is exactly why huge. you go to the movies. Exactly, right? dude. It's also too ahead of its time. I feel like a lot of it still made so much money, but overall, I don't think it uh, people still grasp what they saw. I, I feel like people, you <laughs> can't say Lawrence Arabia, those great movies, they're great after 20 years. You look back like, shit, that was a great movie. And you look back yeah. now, I mean, this movie for some, for some people caught it, but I feel like some people, it's probably like, oh, yeah, that was a long movie. That was cool. But then, you know, yeah. it just. You know, you the score, I mean, the, I, I want to talk about the score whenever you get a chance, but so I don't oh, know. God, yeah. the score. I, I want to round up Gorgeous. a couple actors and, and give a couple of just um, what I think is five five people who just, just kind of knock their little bits out of the park. Um, and it's easy to say Gary Oldman, but Gary Oldman is Harry Truman. That exchange between him and Oppenheimer was just... I, I had to actually look up who the actor was because it was <laughs> so it made fucking sense, right? Com- yeah, so compelling, so good. So uh, Casey Affleck, um, he had a very confrontational uh, thing. Didn't care for him as much, but in that same room was okay. And I'm I'm just gonna I don't know his name because I can't find him on IMDb. Was the son from the new Frasier television show, and he's in this comedy, and I'm like, oh, he's a terrible actor. And then you watch him; he was the guy, the other guy in the room, and he uh, for like he's a 30 year old actor. To be where he is at thirty, it was fucking phenomenal. So I just want to say that one was pretty, pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, who else do I have here? Uh, Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr oh, was just a delight. Um, um, Dean DeHaan, there uh, you Dane, Dane That's DeHaan, it. Uh, it, he put me in in mind like he was so vitriolic toward uh, Oppenheimer, so angry, so ha- hateful of this man. 
And it turns out that, yeah, okay, so he was part of the cabal from the very beginning set up to bring him down. It just made perfect sense. Um, I like Benny Safdie as Teller. I thought that he was a great counterpart. Not counterpart. What's the right word? Uh, juxtaposition, I maybe to very good. Yes, and then finally, um, uh, the guy who played uh, Han Solo, oh, no, uh, Alden. Oh yeah, Alden, Alden Enrich. Mm-hmm. Enrich. I thought he was great. He was the Senate, yeah. the Senate aide. Yeah, he has yeah. been right. He's been right through the coals over in a bunch of different movies, and finally, I felt like he had a shiny performance. Was it an Academy Award? No, but it was just one of those performances that kind of jumped off the screen for me when he looks at Robert Downey Jr. And Robert Downey Jr. says, you know, you told me we would win. And he says, I didn't have all the data. Like you didn't give me all, you didn't give me all the data. I'm like, Oh fuck. You're a young staffer that just stood up to, like, I just loved that dynamic. I thought it was so good. It's good to see him get the the opportunity, that Mm -hmm. chance to be in something big because, you know, a lot of people like was talking shit on him on the solo movie, and I thought he did well as did Han too. Solo, you know. I did, and too. he doesn't get recognition. When Strauss was like pissed off with like you know, uh, Oppenheimer got all the scientists to go against me, and then that's when uh, this that was his Aiden Henrich. He was like, "Is it possible they talked about something more important?" Like he said that quote in the very end. Isn't it possible yeah. they talked about something more important? Because at the time, than you, than you. And it was like, yeah, I mean, they, these you know, all these scientists yeah. weren't just talking about you, dude. Like yeah. some of those quotes were like just nailed, like hit. It just nailed it. I love Robert Downey Jr.'s reaction when he's like looking at him, and then before he goes into the public, he does like this creepy smile, like, and yeah, then goes like, into yeah. like you know he has to put it's his like face he's on. Got to put his face on, yeah. But no, you know what? Another one, Sean. I, I think it was so small, but I thought it was so well done. Was Tom Conti as as I. Um, Einstein. Absolutely. Einstein. As Einstein. Einstein. It was so beautiful. That last speech, that lingering, you know, that last moment and how he, he, I think one of the very few times in the movie where he takes the focus completely off of Oppenheimer and puts it somewhere else. And it's, it's weird because, you know, Einstein is this, you know, he's this magical fe- figure for so many, you know, of our brains. And for us to see him as, well, just he's the one human, who gets the credit, right? Well, he's, he's the one that gets the credit. He is the one, but at the same time, he is shown in this movie to just be a normal person who is very aware of his situation, right? He's not this, this quote unquote, you know, God or demigod. He is a human being who is fully aware of, of his fallibility and the fallibility of the people that he cares about. And Oppenheimer is one of them. I think it's so beautiful. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I wish that they would make a movie. I wish, you know, someone would make a movie about Einstein that, that is good. Number one, number two, I feel just from this movie, and this is not doing any of the research. I feel like he came out with relativity and was afraid to go further. Yeah. Cause there's a one point where Oppenheimer says he refused to believe in all of the, all of the, basically the, the bad parts of the, of the combustion or universe that, 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 you know, that his theory embodied. And it's like, maybe he took a step back because, Somebody said to him, you know, there was the world's going to fall apart yeah. and he didn't have the science to back it. Because I thought that was uh, when, when he read that, when Oppenheimer re- reads a notebook and there's less than one percent chance that basically mm-hmm. they're going to start a chain reaction to ruin the, the whole universe. So it would be better. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> Can you run this again? You're going to get the same, res- you know, the same <laughs> result. And it's like, I, I don't know. There was a couple scenes like that where 
I, I, Oppenheimer struck me as this brilliant, brilliant, logical man who was three steps ahead of everyone else. And he was foiled by the stupidest things. When who's the guy that you just said really good actor with the he had the facial he the Emily Blunt wouldn't shake his hand. Oh, tell her. Tell her. So he's standing after they take the bombs away and he says, well, I gave him the both opinions of the scientific community, the good and the bad. And he goes, what about your opinion? Like Oppenheimer never actually gave his opinion. He only looked at science for science sake and Mm -hmm. never really injected himself into it. And I think that is a mark of a true, a true scientist and why he's, why he is, as brilliant as he is. I, I love how they, they made, I never actually thought about this, but like they made all, made it seem real cool. How they, all these scientists, they know each other. They, they all, mm-hmm. they all study each other. They all go to each other, each other's events a little bit like Heisenberg uh, with, you a know, lot of respect. They a lot of respect to each other before the war, you know, and it's just, it put it in a different aspect that I never actually thought about like, okay, maybe they, you know, they like, hey, are you True aligned community. with this? Are you, are, yeah, are you giving information to your friend over here who's working for the the, the access powers? Uh, it's a, it is a true community. Like you said, they were being hunted down. You know, a lot of ways when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. But I also don't think, Eddie, to your point, I don't think that there was a lot of political thought in most scientists' head. I think they were interested in physics. They were interested in in achieving something and in, in discovering something. Eddie, this is a question more to you and Sean to you also. But um, so the first time I'm watching this movie, because Jeremy, this is, you've seen it twice now. No, I've only seen oh, just one. Okay. In this case, this is to everybody. So when I was watching the movie the first time, I was still holding out this belief that Robert Downey Jr. was on the, the quote unquote good side up until the end when it's finally kind of fully revealed, but he was the one that gave the file and everything. The second time you see it, Oh my God, it's like painted clear as day in the first scene that we see of Robert Downey Jr. But were you guys surprised or at what point did you realize that Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, kind of the, the foe to Oppenheimer? The one that's like dragging his name through the mud type. Yeah. Yeah. When, when did you realize that he wasn't really a supporter, but, uh, or a friend, but, but really kind of the one who is going after him for me, uh, really towards the last 30 minutes. Of of uh, uh, right before, I mean, I think Doctor Hall, which was Sammy, uh, Sammy Malik, uh, the guy from Queen. What's his Rem, name? Remy Malik. Remy Malik. Oh, yeah. Like so, but like I would say, moments before that, like the yeah. whole last scene of when it was the black and white, where Strauss is in kind front of, went, of when it was revealed. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was like oh, no, but crap. I, I guess when I say that, is, if you watch it a second time, for me at least, it's like it's so clear and it's so plain. It's almost like watching Psycho. Again, you know, after you know the reveal and being like, or or the sixth sense, maybe mm-hmm. it's probably a better one, where you're like, oh shit, it is it is clear as day. Like Nolan is throwing this this in our face, and for me, I was the same way as you guys. It wasn't until the the actual reveal of the movie you, that I said, holy you shit, want, you want to believe he's a good guy because he's with the government, he's with the United States government. That's yeah, so, Robert Downey right. Jr. You yeah. want, and over, you want to believe he's a good guy, and it just it's sad that what they did with. All the scientists, if that's really what they did. Who was the affair that uh, Oppenheimer, like all of a sudden he was naked in, on the couch smoking a cigarette? Like, and she's naked. And oh, that was, that Selena, was Jean, the girl Selena, who. Su- yeah, Selena walked past. What the hell are you watching? It's like, this is the worst thing for you to jump in at right now. <laughs> was she killed? That's my question, I guess. 
she was suicide. She, she killed herself. She was uh, actually no. If you watch it over again, you actually see another person. Yeah, there's hands. Mm-hmm. There was hand people with black gloves. There's uh, reports that she might have been killed because she was part of the uh, um, interesting, you know, part of the party and Communist shit like party. that. There's yeah. a split there's, scene where you saw someone yeah. pushing her in. To your question, Brandon, um, I didn't know until the very last minute when he actually just revealed his mm-hmm. whole evil design plan, yeah. and I was just like, "Oh shit." Yeah. Here I'm just like rooting for this fucking guy yeah. and he's all doing this whole fucking thing. And then now I'm rooting for like, you know, the evil empire and same, shit like that. Same I here. mean, even at the beginning, even Watch at the beginning again. of his testimony, even at the beginning of his testimony where he's going out there and, and you know, yeah. how do I rip him down? How do I do, you know? And I'm like, oh, so he's a good guy. He's fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's evil, Robert Downey Jr. So it's, he- it's, it's. It's uh got U.S. Marshals all over again. Was he trying to be a scientist? <laughs> no. Uh, Oppenheimer like like distant like he made fun of all this something that he created or something that he the used. isotopes. So yeah. So he wanted to export or he wanted to ban isotopes being sent to other countries. And what Downey Jr. was or what what Oppenheimer was saying is that basically the isotopes themselves won't cause other people mm-hmm. to have bad things so that it's not really worth banning those and and uh what's the name Strauss had such a huge like ego focus on that 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 was kind of his platform that he stood on and Oppenheimer just made a joke about it and that joke is what carried him through and then the whole Einstein uh passing you know without looking at him it just all built up in in Strauss's head. When it was all re- like revealed, like about his plan and what he wanted to do, like when I was done with the film, like I was thinking back of like some of the things that he were talking about, like which you mentioned, where he felt like he was humiliated by amongst his peers and everything like mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, oh my god, they were like they were leading little bread mm-hmm. trails and shit like that. You know, I bet you if I see this movie again, I'm gonna see a whole kind of a different kind of movie, like you know, leading up to like what we like, you know, the 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 final ending, yeah. which I have to say is one of the greatest fucking endings that we've seen in a very Seven long storylines building up to it now please watch it again it's insane i'm not gonna lie dude this movie felt like a ticking time bomb throughout the whole time like it was ready to go off any fucking moment dude i, I love horror films this felt like one of the most scariest movies i've seen in a very long time man because it whatever you watch it stays with you and that's fucking haunting shit right there yeah I, I will say the JFK uh, foiling his his commitment or confirmation was one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> Definitely, They're like some young senator from Massachusetts, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. I'm like, doesn't, ah, doesn't doesn't like that. You went, doesn't like that. You dragged his name through the mud. Like, yeah, <laughs> what do you guys think about the Indian? So I was gonna say every time, yeah, every time Killian Murphy did something like this. Like this, this, like this, 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 the music just like, oh shit, turn it down, turn it down. So, it, you know, this is like amazing. Like when he starts to think, like, I need to start thinking like this man. When he, when he, when he puts his hand to his, like, he's thinking, like, oh my God, the score just gave me chills every time. And it captured what was going on in his head. It's like, imagine, like, you know, the most brilliant mind just can't control these the thoughts in his head. You know? It's crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. The last shot in the end, where you have Oppenheimer and you finally get the Einstein, and you get an idea of what they were talking about. Beautiful. It's one of the most gorgeous scenes because oh, you yeah. see them talking, and you see Robert Downey Jr. in the background, right? 
but it never focuses on it because it doesn't fucking matter about him and shit. It matters what they're talking about. Was that in color? Yes. Yeah. It was in color. So that was from Oppenheimer's perspective, not Robert Downey Jr. No, no. And that's the whole point. Like, you know, you see Strauss in the background and I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. Those last four words that he says, like, I believe we did oh. gave me chills to the bones. And then you just see a person and his eyes are open and knowing that he opened up this hell gate and there's nothing that he can do about that, you know? Yeah. And and here, okay. So I, I loved, I loved the ending. I loved that, you know, that fear that nuclear missiles will be used for, or that the atom bombs, whatever you want to call them, what his creation will be used to cr- basically cover the earth in darkness and dismay and, and destroy humanity as we know it. However, knowing what we know now, that we are the only people who have ever dropped bombs, saw the aftermath of the greatest destructive power on the planet in those bombs. And they went, wow, this is real. This is really 200 million people dying from bombs. This is really 200 million people dying from the after effects of bombs. And I see even the hardest hearted saw the devastation that came with it. And that's why we haven't had another bomb dropped anywhere like in the world. Atomic, uh, A-bomb or H-bomb. This, yeah, right. Yeah, the, second, the second thing I think is true is we have since created an arsenal of so many bombs that the destruction is true in everyone's mind. They know it's going to happen. And if anyone else is stupid enough to use their bombs, they will cease to exist. And mm-hmm. I think that this deterrent system that's been created by – you know, I, I think perhaps an unethical dropping of two bombs has created something unexpected, and it gives me hope for humanity. Yeah. That as bad of a country as you think our country may be, or all the countries across the world, no one has dropped a bomb. As evil or as uh, virtuous, whatever you want to say, no one has done it. And that should give you some hope yeah. that mankind understands at least a little bit the destructive power of what these can do. And I think that's important. Fuck. Let's hope. That brings us to the end of review. Now it's time of the podcast where each of the hosts provides a score on the following scale. Mr. Kennedy, can you uh, please provide the scale? Yes. Ask not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country. Yeah. I mean, that was it right there, dude. All right. Ready, guys? <laughs> Zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. One, a filled your first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Three, an you know, Uber lifting home. Four, rough morning watch of shame. Five, blackout, shit face, screen break, drunk. Gentlemen. Are we going to do our new thing that we're talking about, folks? Sure. Yes. So okay. who wants to explain like how we're going to actually do our scores before season five? So basically because I uh, manipulate the scores in the past <laughs> because I don't like the way that some people score their movies, um, we are creating a system. Jeremiah has proposed a system where we – uh, before everyone gives a review, we reveal what our scores are to each other, uh, and on the on 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 the video, and then subsequently we will give our scores, and we will not be able to change them from when we have revealed them to each other. Is that accurate? Well, the reason for this, listeners, is that somebody, Sean, our host. Uh, loves to give point twos when there's a, a, a four <laughs> given by somebody like me, um, which we're like keeping I said, ourselves I honest. I can no longer manipulate scores. Nope. So. All right, so write down your scores, guys. <laughs> Mine's written. All right, so here we go. Listeners, just know this. It's just going to be very mysterious, and Authentic. it makes it more exciting for you get to be a part of this when you see this. 
on our YouTube page. One. Yes. Two. Wait, whoa, 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 wait, whoa, 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 wait. wait. I, I'm writing. Eddie. Eddie, Eddie, it's taking you a long time to draw that zero, buddy. That circle, man. That to... circle. <laughs> it's just, it's one continuous, one continuous right. line. It's whoa. one line. All right. One. Are we ready? Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, Eddie, you're such a dick. Fuck you, Eddie. Oh, you Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Eddie? Oh, are you okay. serious? Uh, Eddie, go ahead and give us a score uh, for what uh, you, you for Oppenheimer. This is a beautiful movie, beautiful score. It's it's definitely going to be one of those movies that's in the top 100 AFI's list and the high top 10 movies of it. Um, uh, I think it's it's Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Killian Murphy. I mean, we we didn't even get to some of these smaller names. Matt Damon. We even talked about Matt Damon. I don't know why, but Matt Damon was awesome. Uh, that, however, I do have to say there is tiny moments where it didn't explain enough with, I think Sean, you even said it didn't explain enough of the communist side of things. Like I felt like I was lost at times. Um, uh, many times actually in this movie, I felt like I was, I was lost at times. And I don't think it, it didn't, it, I was lost too many times in this movie. And because of that, I honestly, that's why I gave this score. Uh, I think it's a beautiful movie. I'm going to watch it again. It's probably easily my, the movie of 2023, uh, but I'm giving this a 0.33, just underneath a shot. So right above a half a shot. So this, this is between the perfect movie and a filtered first cocktail, more leaning towards the perfect movie. But this, that's a 0.33. Fuck you. Jeremiah. Jeez. Oh, Sorry, guys. At least it's not like a four or a three or a two. Like it's a good movie. I was I was around you guys' yeah. score. Okay, it's not surprising, folks. I'll, I'll, I'll explain the reason why I gave it a zero is because there is a quote from Paul Thomas Anderson, one of the greatest, one of the amazing directors out there. He says, "When a filmmaker is as strong as Christopher Nolan is pointing a finger at you and telling you where to go, you listen, and the audience will be rewarded for it." And that's the fucking truth here, man. I believe that we're witnessing greatness right now. Yep. He's probably the most influential directors of our time. This movie has changed the way how we view cinema in theaters. And it's something that I wish I could experience. But I remain hopeful for many years to come that we get to be a part of it. This movie should win Best Editing, Best Score, Best Cinematographer, Best, best Supporting Actor, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Picture. This is the reason why I score this film a zero because it is a fucking perfect movie. This movie should wipe everything out in this year's Academy Award. It's that fucking great. I can't see anything else. So that's why I give it a zero. So um so I saw this movie in the theater alone. Uh and as as soon as I walked out after sitting and watching all the credits and then letting all the lights come on and uh, you know the the people with their their little brooms come and start, you know, cleaning up the popcorn. <clears throat> And I walked out and I, I looked at the world just a little bit differently. Like this is a movie that changes your perception of the world around you. And I think that only true art can do that. And this is true art. I, I texted up my, my family and I said, I just walked out of the best picture, best actor, best actress, best editing, best. Yeah. Same thing that you just said, Jer. I said that and I will hold to that. That I think that, that this isn't a movie that you just watch and you forget about. Uh, in fact, I still remember sitting in a theater and watching it. And that's because the impact it made on me then and the impact it made on me last night when I rewatched it uh, on, you know, on, on Blu-ray, there are some 
pieces of art that will last for forever. And I think this is one of those pieces of art that will just last forever. And it, it's because of the, the complete amalgamation of cin- cinema, right? It's the editing, it's the directing, it's the writing, it's the acting, it's all of that together. Yeah. That this is a movie, like we said, is going to be, you know, studied and it's going to be, um, you know, praised for years and years and years and decades to come after we're dead. That being said, anybody who doesn't see this as a perfect movie, I respect you, Ed. But all I'm going to tell you is this. Watch it one more time. And I think it, it becomes stronger with another watch. I, I urge everybody, see this one twice. I know it's six hours of your life. Give six hours of your life to it's this movie. It. It's, it's absolutely worth it. worth it. Eddie, I respect you and I respect your score. But I think watch it again and you're going to catch yeah. so much more and you're going to like it more. Because I know that I... I did, and that was after loving it the first time. I wish I would have watched this movie in the movie theater. I, yeah, I would cry in it. Oh, same here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, but it's it's a zero. It is a perfect film. Uh, I think it's it's one of the the top five greatest movies um, made. I, I really truly think that it's gonna it's gonna stand the test of time. So, Sean, you're up. Nice. Once in a lifetime, you get a movie that merges technical brilliance with acting brilliance with with just visual. Sp- spectacular visuals um i look back and and perhaps i'm i'm arrogant to suggest it's anything like citizen kane or lawrence of arabia or casablanca or the sound of music but i believe that this movie captures the three elements that make movies absolutely spectacular i think the visuals were as good as any visuals you'll ever see in any movie. Visually, the movie was stunning from the costumes to the sets, to the pacing, to the, just the, the sheer way the movie was shot cinema, cinematographically. Mm -hmm. This movie was perfection. It was like a director who's directed a thousand times, picked up a camera and said, you know, here's the most natural way to shoot this bioepic. And make it interesting. And, and it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel new. It didn't feel old. It felt natural. That is a very difficult thing to accomplish. Where I wasn't even thinking about the cinematography until it was over. And then I'm like, man, those shots were just so beautifully framed. The last shot with the water hitting his hat and his piercing blue eyes staring out into the darkness. That scene alone was just gorgeous. So I think visually movie was spectacular. I also think a movie like Lord of the Rings visually was spectacular, but I don't think Lord of the Rings winning 11 Academy Awards, including best picture, best uh, director didn't have the acting behind it. Like this movie does. So this movie not only has spectacular visuals, but the acting was as good as acting is ever going to get on screen. You are never going to get a ensemble cast better than this movie from top to bottom, from the person who had one line to Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt nailed every word, every syllable, every, every line that was written was beautifully and perfectly delivered. And the third thing is, as I look at a movie, why do I watch movies to be entertained to learn a little bit and to be wowed. This is a wow movie. It's a movie about fucking physics. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the edge of my seat. 
And Christopher <laughs> Nolan did that. And that's why you go to the movies because you do, you go to the movies for an experience that you can't get anywhere else. And this movie gave us an experience that we will never perhaps get again, but maybe we will. This is the type of movie that will live on in infamy. It is the, like Eddie said, AFI top 10. I think that it will, it, it'll go against some of the greatest directors, some of the greatest films ever made. This is Christopher Nolan's jewel. And I, I think that he'll never top this. I, I, I really agree. believe that. I don't think he'll ever top this. That's it. It's it's a zero for me. I, I think this movie was just a I think it was it was it was one of the greatest movies of our generation. I'm not sure we're gonna get another one. That's a good point. All right, so you take those uh scores and divide by four, Eddie. What do you get? Uh what does Oppenheimer get? Yes. Uh as uh, Oppenheimer told General Groves, "It's near zero, uh, so it's <laughs> it's zero point zero eight two five. It's, it's uh, really near Jeremiah, zero. Where where does that put us on the list? <laughs> that's gotta be that's gotta be close to the top, if not the second movie. It's the third movie of our list. Actually, oh, it's number okay. three. We have a brand new top three. So, what is here. better than Oppenheimer?" Dreams. Empire Strikes Back is a 0.0625 and our number one movie is the only movie that we have given a zero throughout our whole catalog Saving Private Ryan. Where's the Sound of Music? Sound of Music is a 0.56 So it's okay. Saving Private Ryan Empire Strikes Back and Oppenheimer right? Yes and, and yes. you had a, a dynamic hand in all three of those finally giving a zero not giving a zero when we thought you should have. Not giving a zero when we hoped that you should have. But we love you. I, you know, I've, been so, I've been so hesitant to put Christopher Nolan in this pantheon of great directors. And but. it's just, I've been, I've been foolish. Yeah. He is yeah. a great director. He is a yeah. Spielberg. He yeah. is, he is yes. Brian De Palma. He's Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I, I actually would argue that he's, he's kind of, He's more in line with the older directors, the John Houston's and the, the um, uh, oh God, I can't think. He's so um, natural. Yeah. You know what? I mean, he, he, and I think that you got to re- recognize his ability to create visuals without the use of a computer. Now that we're at the end of the podcast, uh, it's time for one of our gentlemen to tell us which movie we'll be watching and reviewing next week. This is something new we're doing. Since Brandon has the first pick of season five, Brandon, which movie are we doing and why? So as we talked about earlier, we're with this season kind of doing the six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing where you have a movie and then the next gentleman in line needs to pick another movie that has the same actor or actress, director, composer, writer, uh, you know, cinematographer, something like that. <laughs> so it, it's it's going to kind of create this this chain uh that we're going to start here with this movie and then end uh you know sometime in december and so we're really excited for this um with oppenheimer because we picked this as a as a group uh and one of the reasons we picked this as a group is because it had so many different uh, actors and actresses and so many different ways so many go i mean i (laughs) i sat there for for hours and hours trying to figure out which which direction i wanted to go and uh with the help of my wife uh, I am going to go with the Emily Blunt direction. And so we are going to be talking about next week, 2006's Devil Wears Prada. 
So what? we are going from, uh, from World War II to the fashion world. And uh, I'm excited. I've only seen this movie once. Um, Meryl Streep. And I saw it when Emily Blunt was still a uh, brand new uh, <laughs> up and comer. So we are going to be ta- tackling. We're going to be tackling Devil Wears Prada next week for you guys. That's a zero Man, if Brandon, I ever saw one. So Brandon, I love you. I love you so much. I'm so excited to do this. Did not ex- I, I, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't expect you to go in this direction, man. I thought you were going to do something else too. <laughs> so this is exciting. And and just so you guys know, as listeners, this is the first time that they have heard my choice. And so uh, we are very excited. I hope that they're as excited as I am. And I know that, I hope they're there excited as excited as my wife is, because finally we get a little bit more Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway. And who's the other one, Sean? I can't remember who's the, who's the other one in, in Devil Wears Prada. Uh, Anne Hathaway, no, Emily no. Blunt, uh, old, Simon Baker, Stanley no, Tucci. No, the, the main one. Who's Meryl the devil? Streep. Oh, that's no, who no. it is. We're going to go ahead Meryl and tackle Streep. our, I believe, our first Meryl Streep in five seasons. Oh, that's, that's awesome. But jeez, yeah. man. Let's do it. I mean, Sicario. Jerry, you're going to love it, tomorrow. Man. If anything, it's going to be a fun Into discussion. <laughs> Sicario. is deep. Oh, oh, by the way, Into the Woods has both Emily Blunt and Meryl yeah. Streep. It does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. Uh, all right. All right if you enjoyed our review or fan of the podcast, we ask you please subscribe wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, I will say that last year we saw an incredible bump in our uh, viewership. We are asking for 50 new listeners, 50 new listeners, one per week to shoot us up into the upper echelons of uh, the podcasting uh, uh, pantheon, I guess you could call it. We are attempting to get some some ads and some people interested, and the only way we can do that is to increase our viewership. Uh, we ask that you please tell your friends, your family, your grandma, anyone who can listen to podcasts, uh, tell them about our podcast. We're, we're going to do some great movies. If you guys want to write in and suggest some movies, we'll absolutely include those. Um, so please, please, please tell your friends and listen weekly. We're going to produce 52 episodes at minimum this year, uh, one per week for the entire year. Uh, we did 54 episodes last year. We're very proud of that. Uh, season five will be 52 episodes at minimum. And uh, really excited for this this season to take off. So you can find us on Instagram at the dot gentleman podcast. The dot means a lot. You can visit our website at thegentlemanpodcast.com. And of course, if you want to reach out to us, it's hosts with an S H O S T S at thegentlemanpodcast.com. Thank you all for listening so much and uh, happy new year. And we are looking forward to a very warm, prosperous, and wonderful 2024. Happy season five, guys. Peace out, everyone. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. I think that was our best first episode of a season after a delay of an hour and 25 minutes. (laughs) I would agree. I would agree with you. That was good. Good job, guys. Uh, Okay, so.